Welcome to Simple Evolution, the show where we try to evolve through honest conversation. Each week, we break down thought-provoking news and interesting findings from science and the humanities. Making sense of our dynamic world requires meaningful conversations. Our aim with this podcast is to further understand the world and our place in it. Wear a hard hat, but keep an open mind. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to Simple Evolution. I'm Brandon Hayfling. And I'm Elliot Heiss. And we're really excited to get back to it today. So this is episode 31. And what we're interested to talk about today is potentially the future of journalism with a few companies to discuss on the table, those being Medium and Substack. Medium is more catered towards blogging, whereas Substack is a paid or free newsletter. And so part of the reason we're kind of interested in discussing this today is we realize there's kind of a tilt in journalism. So if we kind of rewind the clock and and do a little bit of history here, if you started as a journalist before the internet, you had to join an organization and more than likely you were writing a specific column for that newspaper. Once the web hit, you started to join corporations such as the New York Times, the Financial Times, the Atlantic, the Washington Post, et cetera. And now we're seeing this kind of tilt where if you wanna be a writer, you can, and you don't need the backing of an organization or a corporation. So instead of writing for the New York Times, you write for yourself. And so there are obvious pros to this, which is you now have freedom of ideas, but some of the glaring cons are it's not that easy to write for a living and earn money. And so Medium and Substack are kind of these first two players in what I would call the first wave of what could be the future of journalism. And so I guess what we'll do to have Elliot chime in here is maybe do you want to give a brief overview of first what Medium is and maybe if you follow anyone on Medium and then we'll tilt this towards Substack. Right. So Medium, as you mentioned, uh, is better for blogging and it's an online publishing platform where anyone can create a blog and start writing and money is gained when enough people read your content. Um, But almost no one on the platform gets paid like a living wage because not enough viewers are there to pay for the service without ads. Um, And from a perspective of a former writer for Medium, uh, she says that there are too many people there and good work becomes overshadowed. Um, And that's kind of similar to another problem that we have on Substack, but we'll talk about that a bit later. And I also kind of want to provide a backdrop of the problem that journalism is facing right now in general. Um, So newsrooms and news sites and journalism employment in general has been dropping. And these are figures from the U.S. From 2008 to 2019, employment was down 23%. So that's a, you know, a pretty sizable drop over just over a decade. And if you've been alive during this kind of web revolution, you can obviously tell that people don't really buy newspapers anymore. So they don't get one kind of news site. They get uh, that, that news um, paper, rather, a news company that you, you pay for with a subscription and then you get the paper and you see all these different authors and uh, writers on there. Now with social media in general, two things have happened. You get more focused in on a particular viewpoint. So, you know, emerging authors aren't next to um, uh, bigger name authors and everything you get on the internet is free. So there's a real disincentive to want to subscribe. And the other, what's kind of happened because of this is 
there's a lot more clickbait up now from emerging news sites and uh, also sites wanting to stay afloat. So less investigative pieces and more trying to push content to drive engagement and investigative journalism and a lot of people say quality journalism and I agree is is declining because of this. But you have these newer players arrive like Substack and Medium which provide lengthier pieces um, for subscription uh, based models. For sure, and I, I really like the idea of talking about quality journalism. We'll probably get into that later in the pod. Just to speak on what you kind of brought to the table on Medium. So yeah, so one of the issues is when there's a new platform and you have the early adopters, people hop on board, but then the platform gets quickly diluted. And I like the idea of having people be their own New York Times. So instead of, say, signing up for the NYT, you can just sign up for people that you like, and maybe they speak on one topic, or maybe they speak on a couple of topics. The one important thing, too, that I realize is the thirst for for information. I mean, people generally want to be informed. So I don't think the idea of news is going away anytime soon. I just think the format in which it's presented is changing. And yeah, and so, yeah, basically for people, as kind of a summary, what Medium is, is if you're just interested in writing, you thought about blogging, you maybe considered designing a blog using WordPress or going through some other common website. Medium is just a new platform where now you're building your personal brand. The tough thing is, unless you have a prior audience that you've built, it's very difficult to monetize. And so I think this is where we should tilt towards Substack, which is a more of a newsletter approach. It can be free or it can be paid. Do you want to kind of speak on Substack? Right. So Substack is another kind of platform which just sends out newsletters via email. So what a lot of people in the former journalism old guard, the people who used to work for the mainstream media have done is they've uh, decided to go permanently on Substack and just send newsletters out via email based on a subscription. And Substack provides uh, the platform for people to do it for free. So you don't need to, to monetize your newsletter. You could send it out for free or you could have both. And the minimum subscription that they say there is five bucks a month, but there's some which we've read in, in preparation for this podcast that are up to $50 a month to receive anywhere from one to four or whatever newsletters per month. So a lot of people are making a lot of money on this. And in order to gain viewership and gain notoriety, what Substack has done is they've offered prominent journalism journalists who've left their positions an advance of you know six figures could be up to like four hundred thousand dollars of an advance payment to get a journalist onto substack because substack reaps 10 percent of their subscription profits so you know one of the problems with this is there's only really the people at the top are making a lot of money which was you know a criticism of medium as well but there's also no discover feature so it's very hard to find new uh, content and new authors and new writers um, because the discover feature is is fairly is fairly shitty and what they have instead is a leaderboard system so you can see the leaderboards who's popular and what different categories if it's politics technology whatever and then viewers who come to substack are driven towards the most popular um, authors rather than it being a kind of a grassroots community where anyone be can become uh, a writer and a journalist, but it is billed that way, which is one of the criti cr criticisms of it. 
For sure. Yeah. I think Substack people can think of the analogy of like the tip of the iceberg. So what you're seeing is you're seeing the the top channels is are going to have the most growth in terms of, of new readers. And I think what medium is too, is kind of the Spotify for blogging. So the, the danger there is if you're in the 1%, 0.1%, yes, you'll probably get monetization that might count as passing for a living where you might not have an external job to pay uh, additional income. But with Substack, what you're seeing is I think a useful tool for people who've already made a name for themselves in a corporation as a journalist. So as you just mentioned, right, you have writers from Vox, you have writers from even more common news outlets like New York Times that are saying, I've already built my brand. People know me writing for the New York Times. I can leave, make as much money, if not more, yet have the freedom to express additional ideas that maybe I've not had the chance and to that, write about. And that, and just really quickly, I'll let, you, I'll let you come back though. That is really interesting that there isn't as much of a um, editorial point of view coming down and getting you to change what you think. So the journalists and specialists are free to, to say mostly whatever they want, unless it's you know hate speech or incites violence or racism or this kind of thing, which is really cool because they have a lot more freedom to to write what they want, write what they think, write what they feel. The problem with this, though, is without editorial control, it's more um, susceptible to misinformation. This is one of the problems that you have with it. And also, I mean, if you only listen to one person and and pay for one newsletter, you're only getting that person's point of view rather than a mainstream news um outlet, which might have a bunch of different views as well as emerging authors. Yeah. The way I kind of think of it too, is it's basically like you're sending a scientific manuscript to a journal that doesn't have a peer review process. Yeah, that's a, that's so they're, a really they're taking good your, point, yeah. your, yeah, they're taking your word for it. And so, yeah, so the current system, there's definitely pros where fact checking is a thing, but then the beauty of say Substack or medium is yes, you have freedom to publish whatever you want. So clearly if you're not writing interesting material that doesn't sound correct or sound interesting where people do their own research. The beauty is you just don't follow that person. And so they have, hopefully they don't have really the chance to gain traction, except it probably will happen. I mean, there's probably people I don't know on medium that are writing kind of fringe level. Should it be accepted? Should it be taken down? And maybe yes, they are growing their following. But I think generally speaking, the beauty of gaining a following is, there there's an accountability element where if you write under your own name you're taking the heat if you start writing things that are completely absolutely out of and, and that's fair but it also is a bigger echo chamber if you're only getting news from this one person which isn't edited which isn't fact checked and on substack and medium they both suffer from a lack of original reporting so while journalists are leaving in droves for these kind of sites it detracts from real news and real uh, press press uh press companies that that cap capture original reporting and then what these journalists do on Substack or medium is read the original news and then give their take on it so a lot more opinion pieces and personal writing and opinions yeah which becomes interesting because as naval said which i i really kind of agree with this which is oil sorry ideas are the new oil so basically the most valuable thing that people should be considering is ideas. And if you only read one source, even if it's not a person, it could just be 
for example, what's written by one writer at the Washington Post or just the Washington Post in general, you're obtaining information that probably has its own bias that other people are also reading. So you're not necessarily thinking different from the crowd. You're just regurgitating the same lines that someone else who read that same article from Monday morning is thinking. So I agree with you. I think the danger is getting caught in the trap of only reading, say, from one organization or only reading the ideas of one individual if they're publishing on Medium or Substack. But what's cool about this idea economy is to go on your point of people are also reading the same news you're reading. They're just publishing interesting opinions on those pieces that people in those platforms might not be able to publish because it might go against their policies. So what you're getting is you now have the flexibility to explore unique individuals writing as their own form of journalist. And you might have three to five newsletters on Substack that you subscribe to. You might follow a few people on Medium. You might still listen to articles published by NYT or LA Times. And I think that's that's where ideas are going is I think you need to diversify your ideas just like people diversify when they're investing in yeah. stocks. So newsletters have been around since the mid uh, not mid nineties, mid nineteen hundreds, for example, and you'd subscribe to a newsletter, a physical one, to gain information based on you know stock trades or the oil industry or news sites and that kind of thing. What's interesting now is in twenty twenty one and and you know most of this last two decades is personal blogs and now there's personal and lifestyle newsletters. So the example that we heard in the research to this was Maybe Baby, which is a newsletter. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, it's a, I don't really understand why the name is like that, but it's a newsletter in a personal and uh, lifestyle sense where the author gives her takes in an informal way about the world, her life, what she's experiencing, the news, and it's kind of written in a, a chatty a chatty tone and a really personal kind of close like you're talking to a friend kind of relationship. And that's an interesting pivot that, you know, newsletters can make to. And it's receiving an email from this person and no reply is expected. It's just nice to kind of receive what someone else's thoughts are, what someone else is going through written in a really nice condensed kind of way. Um, and that may inspire you to, to do things in your daily life. Yeah, and it shows that people are willing to pay money for interesting content. I mean, the fact that she can write with the tone she does and talk about the topics that, from an outsider perspective, you think, no one wants to listen to this. How are you going to make money on it? And guess what? She has, I thought it was north of 30,000 subscribers, yeah. and I think it's a $5 a month newsletter. So she's definitely sitting, sitting, well as a, yeah, sitting well as a journalist. And I think one of the questions I have for you on this, because I've, I've been thinking about this more, is... So for example, you know, you and I, we have a podcast, we're building a collective brand being Simple Evolution, but at the same time, our, our names are tied to this. So we're also boosting our own personal brand. If you were starting today and trying to gain traction, building up your identity, like meaning getting people to, to know who you are, what do you think is the best approach? Do you think blogging is something you'd gravitate towards or do you think yes. this podcast is? Well, okay, sorry, I finished that thought. Or, or just kind of what medium would you start with? So let's take out social media. Like you're not going to be an Instagram influencer. Let's say you have to go the route of YouTuber, podcaster, blogger. What kind of interests you? There? Well, if I was trying to build my personal brand and, 
you know, getting away from doing illegal things and, and you know, trying to gain as much traction as possible <laughs> in other ways, just through the traditional kind of journalism memes. I do kind of a blitz. Uh, you've been spending too much time on Silk Road. I do kind of a blitz warfare kind of approach where I try and take over as many things as possible, you know, if I have the time to do so. So that would mean start a YouTube channel because I think that's the godfather of social platforms. Um, obviously, you already have your own Instagram and, and Facebook, so you try and make as many connections with as many people as possible there. I think starting a podcast is very approachable for a lot of people because writing is hard. Writing well is hard, and people have different tones. And, you know, mine, I was writing the other day, I was doing some travel reflections, just kind of writing them down. And I noticed my tone was eerily similar to the way that I'd written scientific papers. And that's not really conducive to maybe Baby's chatty kind of newsletter, which seems way more personal and engaging. I'm just kind of like, these are the facts, this is what happened, take it or leave it. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd try and diversify as much as possible. And I, like I mentioned to you, you know, earlier in the day, I think when people can see the main character or hear the main character, they're able to attach themselves to it more easily. So YouTube and podcasts are more personal than, you know, uh, a word doc kind of kind of newsletter where you just receive people's words. What about you? What's what, yeah, what's your opinion on that? Well, I, I like the diversified approach you mentioned. I think it's useful to to try to chip away as as many platforms as possible. I will give credit to the YouTube idea because I believe just recently YouTube surpassed 2 billion monthly users, uh, which is incredible because YouTube is a platform where person can go on, watch cat videos, where the other person can go and, and watch conference lectures and Khan Academy. So it's just such a broad thing. Khan Academy, wow. Do you go- I haven't heard that name in a long well, no, time. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just, it's just the, the repertoire of things that you can learn in terms of, are you there for education? Are you there for entertainment? Are you there for right. both? Are you there for sports highlights? Like, yeah. I'd love it, to know how over. many videos there are on YouTube, you know? Or how many go up a day oh, and what's Jesus. the trend? Is it rising? Yeah. Is it declining? Yeah. yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's gonna be an interesting topic, but okay, sorry. So I guess we'll, we'll bring this back to kind of Substack medium journalism. Sure. What I find interesting is, is just that for those that have already established their brand, I believe Substack is super useful. And there are people who they can pretty much quit their job, assuming that really realistically they should have a job. They should go to Substack. They should start writing. If the people that know them from whatever their previous journalist job was, maybe they're a writer for the New York Times, if they already gain traction very quickly, then those people benefit from the ability to drop the New York Times to then write full-time as their own independent journalist. But the tough thing becomes this. Ideas are so valuable, but people who don't necessarily have a personal brand are going to suffer from the ability to try to be a writer full-time is probably just not going to yeah, be a reality for these ridiculous. people. If I'm going to pose kind of a similar question, but if you didn't have the routes of using video to get people interested in kind of like who you are and to actually see you, what would you play it would you think about writing the topics that are just popular at the time or would you try to understand like what defines you and then write about no that? it's what defines you i think if you look at the people who do well in substack they're they're quite niche 
you know, um, like the guy who writes solely about, you know, Bitcoin trends, he has his, yeah, the Bitcoin forecast. Exactly. So he has a $50 a month subscribe um, option and it's four articles a month or something like that. And he just purely writes on one topic and that's what the trends are for Bitcoin and how to help people make money off that. I try and find my niche. And, but the tricky thing about that is, especially at this point in my life, my niche is changing. I don't know exactly where I am and what I have the most expertise in. I know some things, but if I was to start one this minute, I'd probably write about uh, travel and how I could help students and guide students on exchanges and um, how to how, how do they should apply to, to jobs overseas or not jobs overseas, but schools overseas and this kind of thing and traveling as a young person. I think that would be what I could do the best in and that would be my niche. Um, however, it's it's kind of daunting even trying to, to start a project like that. And to be honest, that, that's kind of why I was doing the travel reflections because I might want to write about it for some kind of platform or travel website one day. So I was getting information down and trying to to figure out what my writing style was like and and how I could convey ideas in the most sharp engaging way what about you does it, yeah, do you, it would you have like a preference of something you'd write on well similar to what you were saying in terms of I think there's more risk in trying to write outside your comfort zone to fit the current trends when as things change you're best writing about things you're passionate about otherwise you're not going to keep up with it when you're not making money so on a similar thread, I'd probably write more about like health philosophy and then just kind of interesting ideas. I like people. So maybe kind of some biography elements there. But yeah, I think what's also cool is writing is just a form of thinking. When you're talking about how do I improve as a writer, be more concise with my writing. I think it's cool because you're basically taking a tangled thought and then you're unraveling it and then you're putting it down on paper. And the beauty is once you publish it, you can't change it. It's not kind of like a hearsay thing. It's once you've written something, someone has access to that article, they're, they're seeing the logic of your thoughts. So in that regard, it's almost like an accountability thing. Even if you only have five, 10 people that are reading your, your content, at least they're trying to understand like how you think and, and how you go about putting down ideas on paper. Yeah, I used to be quite scared about, you know, what you know, internally scared, outwardly, I wasn't really showing it, but internally wary of what this podcast would mean for future jobs and that kind of thing. If you say the wrong thing, or recently I, I looked up how to delete messages on Facebook because I was watching Good Morning Britain and they had someone on there who uh, made a racist comment to her friend about a politician or a protester via direct message on Facebook and somehow that was leaked or got out or something like that and it ruined that person a direct message to someone else right so that just shows you that when you write anything down on the internet it's not really safe and we all have our suspicions about how the iphone's listening to us and now when i make some maybe a crude joke or something like that i think about maybe my iphone is recording me or something like that so this you know wealth of technology we have in our lives immediately kind of scared me about the repercussions my thoughts and maybe juvenile things I did could hurt me later on but I'm getting to a point where I'm kind of thinking fuck it like I won't outwardly be ridiculous 
but there's no point in trying to hide who you are. And I'm hoping that there will be a societal pendulum swing against cancel culture. So at the, this point in my life, I'm happy to, to speak off the cuff in this podcast. And for all the negatives that we'll, we'll get to talk about in a second, I do think that it's good that writers can be more authentic on these platforms and not have someone looking over their shoulder. Yeah, and I mean, that's a good point. I, I do want to get to quality journalism, but I, I've got some thoughts on what you just said, which is because I was going to bring up a similar question in terms of what was the initial risk reward when you were, you know, starting this, or rather we were starting this podcast, we were kind of in the infancy, only a few episodes published, because it's definitely crossed my mind in terms of how we approach topics, how we consider what we say in the actual podcast. It's not necessarily a worry about, I don't think we're putting anything out that warrants cancel no, culture. Of course like, not. I, I don't think, yeah, I don't think you or myself have very kind of radical ideologies. But that's, that but that's changing. And people speaking off the cuff can get them into trouble, especially if they're from an older generation and they're not used to being careful. Yeah. And so I guess where my question comes in is probably here, which is why do you think that's changing? Is it more just the realization of sometimes maybe some people that are getting canceled, their ideas were better to begin with? Or it, I think there has to be this, there is this transition rather to more of an open-minded approach because ideas are so valuable. And so if you start censoring people, organizations, then the best idea is not going to win. It's not a free market of ideas anymore. Oh God. I mean, there's so much to touch there. Cancel culture, I think in the positive sense is a way to try and show society and the world around us that people are becoming more empathetic and we're not going to stand up to bigotry and discrimination. That's where I think it started from a really good place. We want our society to move forward. So we, for lack of a better words, attack uh, opinions that we don't like and, and show our disgust with, with intolerance, that kind of thing. But it's become intolerance in itself. And that's where it becomes tricky. And I'll quote Jordan Peterson by saying, "Why, when when asked why um, does his right to be offenses be offensive um, combat the other person's um, right not to be offended?" Because he said, "In order to think, we have to risk being offensive. In order to get our ideas out there, we have to risk them being not well received." And you know, even quoting Jordan Peterson, I'm, I'm thinking about people who are listening to this and be like, ah, I hate that guy. And while I agree that I don't like him personally, and I think he should stick to psychology, me listening to him and listening to what he has to say is the antithesis of cancel culture, right? And me trying to burst out of that echo chamber. So that's maybe all I can speak on that is of, of right now. But I do yeah, enjoy how cancel culture is, is I guess, losing momentum in our spheres of influence. Yeah, no, that's a good point. A good quote. Uh, the, the positive is that, and I agree with you, I think it started with good intentions, people that were, someone needed to kind of put their foot down in terms of setting a bar for like what should be tolerated and what shouldn't. But then the danger is there was no, no brake pedal essentially. So it started with good intentions and then what was, I guess, deemed unacceptable and should be silenced, started to become questionable. Like, what do you silence? What do you not? Is this actually a bad thing? Is this not? And so, by a minority I of people, too. Like, we're not sure 
when there's outrage on the internet, how many people are really behind these angry comments. It might just be a fringe, right? And I think genuinely most people hate this idea of cancel culture, but there are the people out there who want to feel like they're involved, want to feel like they have power, and they're the ones driving this. Yeah, exactly. When you have the ability to silence you, you know, you have the power. And then on the flip side, if you feel scared to share your ideas, that's not really a healthy society because society is only going to advance with the best ideas moving forward to solve the big problems. And obviously you're very conscious of how humanity is treating the planet. And so in terms of solving climate change, you need the best ideas, you need people to work together. And if someone is getting canceled essentially for just speaking about, I don't know, like weather patterns in South America, that's not the best place to be. No, of so. course not. And you need you need a, a plurality and diversity of ideas. And if they're bad ideas, the people will let you know or they'll be falsified. I've talked about this before on the podcast as well. You should, if you really think your idea is right and true and good, you should, from an unselfish perspective, you should want it to be, um, you want you should want it to be attacked with other ideas and try to be falsified because if it is a good idea and true it'll stand up to other criticism right so you shouldn't be concerned if a minority amount of people are you know spewing bad ideas unless it's hate speech or unless rather not you know unless it's it calls to violence and that kind of thing that's that's where the line should be drawn and it's funny i think comedy is a good parallel to this kind of conversation because comedians are satirists and they make fun of everyone and everything right i think that once we lose that then you should be running for the hills with that kind of cancel culture right because i forgot who said it but i think chris rock said the audience will decide what's funny and what's not funny right if people are laughing yeah, at it it's okay and if the comedian is getting no laughs he's not going to use the material his loyalty is to the profession right? Yeah. And that's a great point with, I mean, do you say a joke and there's crickets or do you say a joke and everyone's laughing hysterically? Cause that, that just literally tells you exactly what you want to know. Uh, one thing on ideas too, is sometimes the best ideas aren't even version one. Like you can take a so-so idea and to tie this back into blogging, you could write about an idea that then someone makes an improvement on. And then there's just an incremental improvement on that person's post. And then you actually get to someone connecting the dots and boom, you've got a company starting just from someone reading blog posts and, and thinking about things on a deep level. So I think that's something that society needs because through blogging, i.e. medium, Substack, what have you, you have people that are digesting other people's ideas, their opinions, thinking about the facts, and then thinking about what's the practical element of like, how do I use these things? Because it's what I'm learning and what I think what I still struggle from is there's a complete disconnect from just reading things. Like, for example, I could read a book, but if I don't use that knowledge that I have in that book to actually apply it practically to something, whether that's in my career or in building my relationships, what good has reading that book done? Right. Yeah, no, that makes sense as well. And um, I think we should probably get into some of the negatives of Substack because then we can transition towards... Um, you know, journalism now and, and more investigative and smarter real journalism. So do you want to give maybe yeah, sure. some of your your negatives and I can, I can contribute with mine as well? Sure. So I think one of the kind of big overarching 
elements. So there's an article um, that was kind of playing devil's advocate to the hype around Substack and Medium. And what this writer was trying to convey is just that quality journalism should be based on expertise, not on popularity. And so what the message here is, it doesn't really matter where the quality journalist is. It's not a thing of, oh, just because this person's on Medium or Substack, like they're the future of journalism. Journalism is just the content on the page. It doesn't matter if who the name is that supplied it. It doesn't matter if there's a corporation name tied to it. So good journalism is getting the evidence, getting the objective evidence, conveying that. And then once you have an educated opinion, then they'll, they'll essentially write that. And I think a good journalistic piece gives you all the information you need, but it leaves you thinking. Like you shouldn't just take someone's word for it. You should want to kind of discover more for yourself. Right. So yeah. yeah. No, but that's the thing is, is when you don't have, I mean, all or most um, big news companies and news websites have an editorial point of view. So they'll try and tell stories from a particular angle. But one thing that's hard to escape with following a personal writer is their biases and their point of view, right? And including all the facts may not happen all the time. They may omit certain things to make their argument or their case stronger. And that's and that's quite hard. And I mean, it's a it's a problem. Journalism is is always kind of suffered is there's no blaring siren just yelling facts out there. Every every editorial based on their editors and and directors and every news company has a, a point of view, but it's just more um, pronounced in personal writing. Yeah, and even the difference in bias there is interesting because if, if you go back to start of the, the era of the web journalists, like you're working for, again, New York Times, you're working for Financial Times, what have you, the bias there is going to be restricted by the policies in which the journalists are constricted in terms of like what they can actually write and publish. Whereas the individual journalist, yes, they're going to have their own bias because I, I think it's very hard to avoid bias, but their bias is going to be different. Like how their bias is shaped could be shaped from their own influences, their environment, those types of things. And yeah, that that's becomes really interesting. So it's worth repeating that quality is simply determined by the popularity. So emerging writers are not placed beside uh big time writers as they were formerly in news companies. And another thing is it's actually more expensive to pay for two to three newsletters from two to three people. And you're only getting their opinions rather than previously subscribing to a bigger news company or, or newspaper that gave you lots of different opinions from lots of different writers. So while you're getting more personal content, it's actually narrowing your focus into one or a couple different channels. Yeah, which could be, I guess, useful or could be restricting the person because I think there's there's value to becoming a specialist in life, but there's also value to having more of a holistic, broad picture. You're more of a generalist. And I think what people should hopefully take away from this episode is for those curious about writing, especially if you're just trying to improve your writing, if your goal is just to improve your writing, then starting a medium blog could be the best thing because you don't necessarily care about looking at, okay, what, what did I net annually from medium that, that honestly, that's a afterthought you're considering, okay, I want to get into writing. Okay. I like this topic. Let me see if I can kind of dissect three articles and write a five paragraph summary with my opinion on it. Like these are the types of things where 
when you consider how people make their start, sure, it might not be great if you're a bottom level, you're new to blogging, you're in Medium, you're not making any money. As we discussed, Medium is actually the best, the better platform of the two for an inexperienced writer because there's more likelihood that you will get discovered slowly, but but hopefully compared to Substack's approach with kind of the, the leaderboard idea. But ultimately, I guess what I'm trying to get to is someone like Beeple, who people probably know now because he sold an NFT for 69 mil, he basically got in the habit of publishing one photo every day for 14 years before he really started to make money. So people can look at, you know, yeah, exactly. People can look and say, oh, this guy just got lucky and, you know, maybe it was right time, right place for sure. But he was prepared because he went through days, years of working on his craft. So just like someone who says, I want to become a better writer, you might not make money doing a year of blogging on Medium, but if you improve your writing, then maybe one day you're working for a company where your skill set, because you're such a good writer, they want to have you. They want to pay you better, bigger money. Right. Yeah, I think I'll I'll kind of echo what you said. And if there's one thing that I think people should take away from this is don't write out of popularity and try because because that's not worth it. You're not going to you know make money. Um, you should write out of passion. And also try and always be cognizant of your echo chamber. That's what I'd leave you with. Yeah, short, sweet, love it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think we've pretty much covered, I guess one thing I, I should say, just so people maybe don't have the wrong idea, I don't have anything against the media corporations of today. So for example, you know, I still read articles on New York Times, The Atlantic, The Economist, you name it. I think there, there's a lot of good writers there and there's a lot of good content. I think what I'm trying to say and the reason we're discussing these things today is there's more opportunity for writers. We're, enter, we're entering an era where you can just write from your computer by going on some site and these sites will improve where either it'll be quicker access to start making money or just the generation of ideas will get people to start writing about more uh, interesting ideas and just putting their thoughts out there, like being open and confident to share your ideas is step one. Yeah. And I just a couple footnotes is I don't think mainstream journalists, journalists are complicit, or I think they are complicit in cancel culture and also driving some of it. Right. And as we know, most news, mainstream news companies are quite sensationalist. So it's nice to, to kind of relax with someone who's a more personal um, writer and, and writes about less kind of crazy world ending things. So I, I implore people to to try and get into good writing as well because it's highly therapeutic. Totally. Uh, and I look forward to the day, probably two weeks from now, when you share your first media uh, Yeah, we'll see, man. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And we'll see you on the Peace. next one. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. We hope you gained some new insights. Tune in next week for another fresh topic. Until then, stay curious and think differently.